right. Welcome, everybody, to the uh, latest installment of the Media Gel podcast. My name is Guillermo Bravo. I'm the Chief Evangelist here at Media Gel. Uh, today, we'll be covering how to execute on a cannabis brand marketing campaign with a retail partner. Uh, and we're joined by Angela Pye, who is the former CMO of Poplin Barkley, Canacraft, and, and many, more, many other companies in the cannabis space. Welcome, Angela. How are you? Good. How are you? Happy to be joining this holiday edition. This is like my little, you know, nug ornament that I had on my tree, but I brought it down to show everybody. <laughs> is there any special uh, gift bags that you give your friends or family since you're in the cannabis space? <laughs> I think when you work in the cannabis space, we're always curious. And I go to three to four dispensaries every single week just to see how products are moving, have chats with bud tenders. Those are always great opportunities to see what's happening merchandise-wise in the store, what people are shopping for, and what is the overall shopping experience. So the whole aspect of uh, retail marketing and being strong retail support supporters um, is very critical to being a successful brand in our space. So, um, and I think also being in um, being in the space, there's never a lack of sampling that goes on. So it almost seems like my house is very abundant with cannabis products. Same here, same here. And everyone's always asking, oh, you know, they treat me like a medical professional. Like, okay, I have this ailment for my elbow or my knees. Like, what do you recommend? It's, uh, I've become that, uh, that resource for the entire family. <laughs> right, so it's like, um, uh, I don't know, for, for many ailments, people will come to you and say, oh, I just, can't, I just need a really good night's sleep. Yeah, it's a simple uh, CBN edible. That's my go-to that I'll take, you know, five milligrams. And if I really need to sleep well, I'll take 10. Uh, but yeah, well, let's let's get into some um, some marketing talk. You know, you have tremendous experience in the, in the uh, marketing space and you joined the cannabis space about three years back. Maybe just start with a little bit about your background and, and what, you brought, what brought you to the cannabis space. Sure. Um, I come with over 20 years of global agency experience, working on uh, classic iconic brands like Heinz, Procter & Gamble, J&J, having launched Tide and Tylenol in different countries in Asia, and um, on you know, automotive brands like Mercedes, Ford, and then transitioning into beauty and fashion. So my last non-cannabis, role was the chief marketing officer at Halston. Wow. Wow. So you have a very diverse background. Uh, you know, what, what makes cannabis so special and what made you interested in getting in the, in the space? Well, I grew up with traditional Chinese medicine. So okay. the healing properties of plants, uh, plants over pills, it's something that I grew up with from a very young age. You know, if you had an ailment or if you've got just feeling a little bit under the weather or any kind of allergies, there's probably some form of traditional Chinese medicine that's going to treat the root cause rather than the symptoms. So I think in terms of the way um, TCM approach to um, physical ailments are that um, you're really treating the root cause of what's going on within your system that's not quite balanced. Um, versus just treating symptoms of what you're experiencing on the outside. Uh, and I think that with cannabis um, and all the wonderful properties of the plant, really looking at the overall endocannabinoid system in terms of rebalancing what is our you know, overall circuitry is, is something that's very important and, and part of the science and education as marketers, as we work with a whole, whole lot of really great brands out there. Yeah, and I've uh, done my research and I've you know, uh, hired a, a functional medicine doctor and, and practice a lot of the, you know, the, the, warm, the warm tea in the morning, uh, really setting yourself up for balance, uh, you know, to start the day, uh, practicing, you know, plant-based diet and everything kind of along with everything that comes with that, like acupuncture and so on. So it's been really, really effective uh, in my own personal health as well as uh, just managing stress, especially with COVID and everything, uh, meditation and, and all those practices, uh, yoga that I do on my side just to maintain balance. So I'm 
well aware of uh, everything that uh, that you're that you are um, speaking of, and uh, it's just uh, yeah, really passionate about it myself. So, uh, well, let's get into some of the marketing um, topics. You know how how do you identify like when you're creating a when you're creating a campaign with a, a partner retailer? How do you identify a differentiator that will connect with the retailer with whom you can you know, pitch the co-branding marketing campaign to? Sure. Um, I think it's important from the brand's perspective to be able to really understand what is the consumer mix and who are the customers of that store. So not every store is the same, as we all know. I mean, that's, well, yeah, of course. But the dynamics of, the, of, of that store, is it more of a lifestyle type store? Is it a trendsetter type store? Um, what, is, what is the consumer and customer mix of that particular store? What are people going into that store um, looking for? Is it a neighborhood? Is it a high street type store? So really being able to pinpoint what is the right, what is, what is their particular customer mix? And then being able to plan together with them a program that's going to help them drive more traffic, develop more loyalty, bring some in, bring bring some new customers in. So depending on what the goals of that particular co-branded or co-partnered campaign, really looking at their base and being able to create a relevant um, experience that's going to help them with their business. Yeah, and you mentioned customer segments. Like, how would you identify that customer segment before even getting started? Well, a buyer is, a store buyer is going to know their customer pretty well. A bud tender is going to know their store pretty well. So a whole lot of planning needs to happen even before you execute on any type of campaign at the retail level, because it is about foot traffic. It's about understanding, well, what is the mix of the, of the conversions of people going into the store versus they're looking for delivery um, and pickup and finding out what that proportion is. So some of um, the Bay Area type um, dispensaries that have a much higher um, curbside and delivery versus an in-store, maybe some of the SoCal stores are more sort of foot traffic type driven, then you can segment and really augment um, a co-branded campaign um, in such a way where you're not just catering to people who are coming into the store, um, but also thinking about how can how can consumers of that particular dispensary take advantage and participate in the digital part as well. Yeah, and then when speaking to different audiences in these customer segments, whether it's delivery or in-store, uh, you're going to have different call to actions, you're going to have different goals, uh, probably different promotions uh, to encourage people to uh, to take action and actually go through that uh, sales funnel. Uh, like how receptive are retailers, you know, uh, from your experience in, in launching a digital marketing campaign versus a traditional advertising campaign? It depends on the sophistication of that particular retailer. We knew that from March of 2020, it really helped accelerate a lot of the digital marketing um, mm -hmm. activities of all dispensaries so that they can pivot from, you know, into a being an essential business where they can have delivery, curbside pickup. And so the velocity of digital marketing activities really started to take off around, around that time, just because it was necessary and people couldn't leave their houses, right? So if you weren't, if you didn't have a proper online platform that was able to give a seamless experience into a conversion, you had to build that or build it pretty, pretty darn quickly. And then second, really looking at who are the customers who are ordering products that they know, how do you develop something that is um, created to help consumers discover new products and not just buying what tried and true. So a lot of those, it really depends. I mean, you know, as you know, since, you know, both at Countercraft and Poplin Barkley, I had worked with Media Gel, the yeah. amount of time it takes to actually activate a digital marketing campaign could take a long time because some retailers don't understand Google AdWords, they don't understand tagging, they don't know what a destination URL is. So a lot of that, you know, we as on the brand side do have to handhold and teach um, a dispensary partner if they're not really fully um, fully adapted into a, a digital marketing type platform. Okay. 
No, and it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it varies depending on the retailers, as you suggested. Uh, some of the more advanced uh, MSOs are just single retailers. You know, they have a pretty advanced technology stack in place uh, with, you know, everything that they need as far as tracking uh, to ensure that, you know, they can track the revenue and attribution for each campaign. So it's, it's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of red tape really just to get set up. Uh, and it's really just on the onboarding and the campaign strategy and just ensuring that, you know, the brand and the retailer is aligned, you know, right. So that's, it's, well, uh, it's really- I would say that's 80% of the work in, yeah. um, in getting a campaign up and up and running. So, you know, use the big word there, which is attribution, you know, yeah. and why you need tracking pixels um, when you're speaking to um, people within a dispensary who are, you know, not necessarily conversant in these necessary steps of, well, what does it mean if you need to, if you're going to drop a pixel on my site, you know, ooh, what does that mean? I don't want you to track this, that, and the other. And, and, um, and that, which you don't know, scares you. So um, going through the process of explaining why it's necessary, where it's not subversive in any way, and that you're not trying to track their traffic, we're really trying to make sure that we're measuring ROI on any kind of investment towards digital marketing. Yeah, and that's really step one, right? Foundation is ensure that your pixel is installed, uh, you know, whatever e-commerce platform you're using, whether it's Jane, Dutchie, WooCommerce, Weedmaps, Leafly, you know, the, the number of e-commerce companies is endless. Uh, ensuring that you have that in place so that you can actually track a revenue number per campaign and even per transaction. Uh, and when doing that, you know, a company like ours, MediaGel, you know, we don't track any PII, personal identification, identifiable identification information. Uh, and, you know, that's your phone number, email, uh, and name, and any personal details. That's all captured through the e-commerce company, right? So yeah. you want to well, share that. Also, um, moving into moving into regulation since it is such a highly regulated market looking at well you know how much of that device id tracking are you really doing and maybe you know we really have to walk away from that at some point because it's not compliant yeah yeah and then you know given the fact that we're in we are in medical and you know there is hipaa compliance that you have to consider uh, and that's something that at least on our side that we follow all the protocols to, to be compliant with that and I know that the commerce companies have, they've had to jump through a lot of hurdles to ensure that they are compliant because they, they're storing your driver's license, passports, personal information. So uh, they have to be really secure uh, to be compliant. And it's, it's really important that, you, know, that you, you have all that to ensure safety for yourself, protection for your own licenses, for your own brand, but also more importantly, the customers, right? Yeah, for sure. About a year ago, as you probably know, um, just a whole idea of being able to send consumers messages via text, right? Yeah. So it's not quite the same as, you know, your pharmacist at CVS sends you, you get a text from CVS telling you yeah. that your prescription is ready for pickup. But, um, you know, you might think it's something similar, but it's definitely not when it comes to dispensaries telling you that, oh, it's Wellness Wednesday. So it's time to come in and pick up some of your, you know, wellness tinctures or something. Yeah, and text messaging specifically is uh, gone through a lot of transition the last, let's say, two years uh, with the, the phone carriers, you know, regulating a lot of the messages that go out through text messaging. And then some of the uh, CRM companies actually evolving and creating more of a, a chat a chat technology where they don't leverage text text messages in the same way. Uh, so it's just just being aware of all all of those um, restrictions and you know ensuring that uh, you do have the opt-in messaging where you require a, a customer to agree to your terms to you know to uh, to opt into marketing messages or else you could be hit with a I think it's a $15,000 or $25,000 fine per text message that's sent out. And there are, you know, uh, legal groups that they're just going after dispensaries, just trying to, uh, you know, get some money out of them with some of these cases. So really protect yourself, ensure that you have proof and documentation of every time the customer opted into your, to your CRM or your marketing messages. And you know, just follow that as a best practice for, for email and text messaging specifically, because you can, there are, uh, 
there are fines that can be uh, made. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and since since we're already diving straight into channel marketing, yeah, <laughs> uh, through digital, let's let's get right in and 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 talk about content. I mean, something that all of us as brands and you know marketers look at. Well, what's the role of content and content marketing? How do you leverage that? to activate the brand. Have you seen, I mean, you work with so many brands. Have you seen um, brands and retailers activate, um, you know, other examples that you think on the content marketing side that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, I think the first step is uh, creating that content strategy. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the content that's created is, is video or, or photography. So ensuring that you, number one, invest in that, in a, in a great photo shoot so that you have a lot of lifestyle and, and just pictures to support any of the content that's created, whether it's published through social media or through a blog or through an ad campaign. So that's kind of step one. Uh, and then as far as activating the brand through the retailer, uh, the blog has been really effective. So creating a kind of custom blogs with product drops aligned with a maybe a YouTube uh, overview of this is the product, this is the background, this is the values of the company, uh, this is the, uh, you know, here's kind of the test results and, and everything that supports the, the product and product information. Uh, and then, you know, bud tenders are on the front line. So any way that you can educate bud tenders, that's, they're your, you know, they're going to sing your praises in the store. They're having the conversations one-on-one -on -one with consumers. Uh, so bud tender education is huge. Uh, I know that uh, my friend Ryan Porter actually had a uh, text messaging education system uh, called Top, Top Tender, and they would put bud tenders through a course where they'd educate them on all the, the brand specifics, the, you know, depending on what region you are, uh, you know, here's the, here's the, the place that it was grown outdoors in Humboldt and giving background on that and the company and the grower. So bud tender education is, is really, really big. And if you really want to move volume, you're not going to go anywhere unless you have, you know, that bud tender education. Uh, and then supporting that with a integrated marketing campaign. Uh, so say you have one, an example would be a 30% off, and we can talk about this later and debate the incentives. Uh, but 30% off has been really uh, a sweet spot for us in getting people to convert at a very high rate, uh, high rate, meaning like 10% or higher. Uh, that, that number specifically is, is really encouraged people to, to go through the, the full checkout process and actually buy something. Uh, so ensuring that you have your incentive, your messaging all aligned, and then uh, syndicating that across all platforms. So that's can be Google ads is one channel we use, uh, programmatic advertising as well. So it could be a combination of uh, display ads, audio and uh, video streaming. So if you have a, a lot of companies aren't doing this yet, but if you do have the content, you can do a, a small, uh, maybe like 10 to 15 second video spot on connected TV. And then aligning that with your social media messaging as well. So the content will be different on each platform. Social media can't promote the sale and use of cannabis, so we won't talk about incentives, but we will send people to a, a landing page that we can, like an interstitial page where we can talk about that a little bit more. But social media is kind of a double-edged sword for you. You can create organic content, but you really need to be aware of the, the limitations as far as content as and you know, ownership of your account, you know, because it can go away. And uh, well, We've seen a lot of... <laughs> We've seen a lot of accounts get taken down recently. Yeah. You know, some of my friends who run significant brands have noticed that they've really had to go back and get their account back and get their get their main handle. So a lot of um, a lot of brands now have a backup IG handle that they support, so that they're not completely losing touch with all of their followers and their community. Yeah, the, the, the best way to protect yourself on that is, well, number one, don't depend on social media as your, your only source and your only channel uh, for getting new customers. Uh, but number two is just get all your technology in place, all your, your infrastructure so that you can collect that customer information compliantly 
And if your Instagram account is shut down, you still have all your customers' information, name, email, phone number, you know, uh, depending on which e-commerce company, all their purchasing habits, uh, which can be found within e-commerce or a point of sale system. So, you know, really, really prioritize would be my, you know, my recommendation is prioritize capturing and building your customer database uh, because that's, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, probably about 20% of your customers are supporting 80% of your revenue. You have those, reg those regular customers, those locals, and depending on the region, uh, if there's a lot of uh, kind of tourist traffic, it, you know, maybe it's 10, 20% of your revenue. Uh, but you really need to nurture those relationships with your existing customers because I mean they're the reason that you're probably still open, especially during COVID. Like, there's a lot of challenges uh, in keeping doors open during during the pandemic. So ensuring that you're you're providing the best customer experience, you are investing in uh, kind of product sourcing, getting adding on to your product catalog, listening to your customers, giving them what they want. Uh, so that's all just really important in, in nurturing those customers and um, you know, just be creative with it. If there, if there are some vendor days or some VIP product drops or, or anything you can do to make your customers feel special, really take those steps and, and nurture those customers. Because we all know there's probably 10 other dispensaries within a 10 mile radius that they can go to uh, with a similar offering. So you just, you have to have to hold them really close to your heart. <laughs> For sure. Um, I think what happens within the within the store is something that brands need to pay much more attention to. Um, from a marketing standpoint, we're really looking at, okay, what's the velocity of our sell in? And we know that through our customer orders, right? We've got uh, in terms of sell through and then looking at how you're stacking up versus your competitors and, and, and where you set up. Mm -hmm. On our rank, on your rankings, whether it's looking at BDSA or really looking at um, headset data, but nobody's really looking at what's happening in the store. You mm -hmm. know what's going on at the store level. So, um, on the higher end, when we're looking at certain stores that have 75, 80% of their conversions are coming through uh, foot traffic, versus. Um, certain stores that are seeing as high as 40% of their traffic being um, digital, you know, uh, delivery or, you know, curbside pickup, then looking at the most significant part of where your conversions are happening at the store level, um, who is, our, our, you know, being the bed tender, um, who are contributing to what's being sold through that, what I call, you know, a concierge type service or mm -hmm. a guided purchase um, opportunity to um, just the statistic of knowing that about 70% of, of consumers who are walking into a dispensary are undecided. So wow. If there's 70, you know, if 70% of them are open to trying something or going to have an influenced purchase, then that bud tender interaction and what's going on at the store is really going to affect what they walk out of the store. So those are things that I actually consider to be very critical. Yeah. Recently, um, while I have a little bit more time than usual, uh, some of my friends over at Oasis Research and I had actually put together a number of focus group interviews talking to um, experienced and non-experienced dispensary customers, asking them, what are the most important things when you're going into the store? Um, what do you look for? What are some of the stacking of the hierarchy of needs? How do you decide on that purchase? Um, what turns you off? So all of these very typical marketing questions that most brands and companies um, are not asking and um, really do need to hone in on in order to continue to be successful. Because like you said, that 80-20 rule, keeping that 20% of your customer base, consumer base who are very loyal to your brand, and you want to make sure that your brand is being activated, represented in a way that it is consistent with your values at the retailer level. So educating the retailer, educating the bud tender requires a certain level of investment and dedication. Yeah, and you said education over and over again in this, this last, uh, and you know, education is 
is is key for from the top down right it all starts with uh with management and prioritizing education uh, with the bud tenders with operations and then on the brand side they, you have to do the same if you if you want to see your product sold you need to support bud tenders and and really showcase your your story your values your products uh and and be consistent with education right like it's it's not something that you can you can read a book and move on no like it's it's constant every week but absolutely. absolutely when you're looking at it's not one and uh one and done you know yeah. you don't do it once and then you walk away and anticipate that the bud tender is going to be able to um one you know regurgitate but you know yeah. you want that person to actually experience your products and your brands um, if you've got a new product launch or a new brand launch, of course, there's going to be some sort of an immersion that you're sharing about the new information about your products, what's been reformulated, why is it better, um, how does it stack up against competitive, I guess, you know, its competitive set, and uh, what's relevant in terms of helping the bud tender understand um, your brand and product and who it's targeted to. And I think one of the things that I hear a lot about from buyers and also with dispensary owners are, um, you don't have to give us all the swag. We're swimming in swag. But instead, please, you know, invest in education, invest in how um, to teach our people to sell um, or promote or recommend um, your products. And that means what is the origin story? You know, what is it about your products and brand and who is it targeted to so that we are providing that level of input? And uh, one of my favorite stat is that um, butt tender turnover at a store is six months. So if you've done your, if you've done your initial education or, or demo series for, for butt tenders, you need to be going back there at least a couple of times a year to remind them because their turnover is also affecting the amount of knowledge that's being retained within that store over a period of time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's, there's a revolving door with butt tenders, unfortunately, like you said, six months. Uh, so, you know, prioritize education, make that a, a core part of your operations and, you know, you'll, you'll reap the benefits and some of your customers are gonna be happy and, and, uh, it's it's a win-win for for all parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely heard that with consumers walking into a dispensary, um, they want to be treated in a way like um, that you remember who they are. When you yeah. walk into the dispensary, they're a familiar face. You know, you don't have to necessarily remember what their names are. It might be nice, but let's say if it's like a Sephora experience where you know they know what you purchased. They know what you've been coming in for and you're actually able to make suggestions on, oh, if you purchase this particular brand of flower or these types of free rolls and you also bought some pain bomb, um, here are some new items that you might want to try or, you know, I've got a new strain of this particular brand that you really like. So imagine where we can get to a place where you get the recommendation based off of actual real knowledge of what that consumer is spending and what they had bought in the past. Yeah, and all that information is easily accessible in the point of sale system, right? So depending on which system you're using, I know Trees has this set up where, you know, if I go into a dispensary in the Bay Area, they know me, they know my name, they, I, I wait for a second and then they'll, they'll come get me from the, the check-in. Uh, they know what I've ordered, they know what I like, I like sativa flower uh, and edibles and they'll just point me in the right direction. It just makes my experience that more, it's, it's the personalization, right? It's just uh, feeling special when you go into a store. Very much so. So if they're already walking around with their iPad, they know who you are and they're able to pull up your purchase history they're going to have a much more relevant conversation with you as they're guiding you through what your, you know, purchase intent is for that particular visit. Exactly. And your marketing is, you know, innovation focused. Like how do you leverage your experience with R and D and scientific affairs at Canacraft to establish campaign goals, you know, that that will provide insights for for iterating the next campaign. You got to love data. Yeah. (laughs) Um, as a, as a marketer in any kind of space, you really have to be, you know, a real advocate for getting, you know, 
good solid data so that you can actually make decisions on so whether you're looking for that white space for um, a new product that you want to uh, bring to market so if you think about you know whether it's like a a gem and jane from from you know middle of the year that um that we launched at canacraft or the latest skew from care by design which is a one-to-one -one max it's got 2000 milligrams of cannabinoids in a 15 ml tincture so you're really looking at i know it's, um but we'll, we'll get to that in a moment so you're really looking at the overall category and you're saying okay what is the velocity of growth for each one of the product form factors, whether it's you know different different sizes of the flower or pre rolls or um, it's with different um, different volume of the vapes um, and looking into beverages, tinctures, soft gels, whatever. You're really looking at the charts of what what's the velocity of growth and where each one of the top twelve players are nesting within within the space how are they priced what is you know what is their actual SKU offering what sizes and what types of um product form and then from there you kind of go oh you know this is moving really really quickly and we don't really have a horse in that in that race so let's look at developing something that is going to accelerate that so in the case of canacraft it already had um has the number two and three beverage skew uh, beverage brand within beverages. So you've got Hi-Fi Hops, you've got Keef, um, and it used to be number one and two before Can really um, saw its velocity driving that microdose beverage um, in within that segment in the category. And we felt that you know there was an opportunity within the rapidly growing um, beverage space, even though it still represents less than two percent of the overall industry, but just because it's um, it's a way for driving and earning new customers into the cannabis um, industry, into the segment, you need to kind of bring new users. Um, that area of creating a brand for women by women was an opportunity that we saw as a real white space to be able to develop for. So again, as a marketer, we start with who, who are we designing this for? Right, so we see an opportunity within the data of mark within the market. We we decide on who are we designing for, and then you go about creating a concept of a brand targeting women. And then you can then look at well, what should the potency be? What should a flavor profile be? Should it be an eight ounce or a twelve ounce? How are we going to price it? How are we going to drive the cogs? And which are the um, which are the right retailers to actually launch with. So you're really seeing it through the entire arc from opportunity, supply chain, um, to your activation, looking at the right retailers, then with you know content marketing, email marketing, um, and um, we didn't do any text messaging, but also in terms of event activations so that there are opportunities for people to actually try and experience the product in a compliant way. Um, so the opportunity of looking through the entire arc and having R&D and scientific affairs report in through um, as part of that team so it makes it, I think, makes it less risky because you're eliminating a lot of the, oh, no, we can't do that. What are you thinking? You know, <laughs> conversations. So, you know, with the case of Gem and Jane, we started concepting Gem and Jane at the end of October of last year, and we already had the first products rolling off Space Station by um, the first week of May. So that's what, six months, seven months in terms of, in terms of how quickly we are able to bring a product to market. And you never want to miss certain seasonal windows. So knowing that summer, you know, from Memorial Day weekend is the kickoff of the beverage season, we absolutely had to nail that to make sure that we weren't waiting around until dry January. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you, you mentioned the, the, the Lagunitas partner product, which is, you know, probably for the, I don't know what the demographics on that, but I'm assuming male. And then you had the for women by women products. How would you go about activating, you know, the reaching those customers, you know, through digital marketing? Well, um, in terms of targeting a, a female purchaser, you might want to look at adjacent products, right? So you can look at adjacent products within the cannabis space, 
um, and um, or if you're looking at adjacent products um, outside of the cannabis space. So if you're talking to, about women who are uh, cannabis consumers who have walked into a dispensary or purchased out of dispensary in the last 90 days, they may have been uh, an edibles customer or, um, or multi-pack pre-roll customer. Then you start checking the box of who you really, really want to target. And then you create that geofence around uh, your retailer who you're going to be activating with, create the right type of programmatic campaign and beautiful content and go for it. Exactly, exactly. And, and you're an advisor, an advisory board member and, and professor at uh, Loyola Marymount University School of Business. Like, What insights do you have about consumers in the college market specifically? Well, they have to be over 21. So it's not <laughs> like, you know, we can market to people who are underage. Um, but second to that, there is a lot of interest uh, in the cannabis in the cannabis industry, oftentimes when I'm going to, especially now around holiday parties, there are like the kids and nieces or cousins of people who, when they hear, oh my God, Ange, you're in the cannabis industry. How can I get an internship? And I'm like, well, <laughs> um, I think cannabis is kind of like the new tech right now. Yeah. So yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely of real interest um, for a lot of younger folks. And we do want that young talent who are 21 and over. Uh, to be able to come into this space, you know, the Gen Zs are definitely driving a lot of growth in flower and vape, um, and they're equally represented across all the form factors. So we do want that new consumer coming into the marketplace. Um, but in terms of how do you market to uh, colleges, I, I don't think it's like where they are, it's who they are. Again, yeah. you know, you need to designing to who your customer is and look for ways in which you can have those relevant conversations and incentivize them to go and do something. I consider that marketing is successful when we're able to change behavior. So what behavior do I want to actually create? It's a great point. And, you know, when, when thinking about reaching these customers, you know, I'll just give an example. We have a campaign up in Michigan that we're running. Uh, and it's, you know, we want to reach college students. So we're targeting 21 to 30 year years old as far as the customer segment. So, you know, just a little background on programmatic, you, you do have the access to audience general information. So you can get the demographics, their income, age, sex, all of that information is available within a, a programmatic platform. So you can just filter that out. I, I want to target women that are 21 to 30 uh, that, walk into University of Michigan and show and have been to a cannabis dispensary in the last six months, you have access to that data to activate it, right? So it's, it's um, all the tools are available. You know, I think Facebook, when you're creating a campaign, uh, the, the filters that you can add on there is pretty much endless. Yep. So it's really, it's really up to you. Like what boxes do you want to check? What are you looking for? Um, and it does get a little more expensive when you start to add more filters. So it's going to cost a little bit more on a CPM, which is a cost per uh, thousand impressions. Uh, but it's, it's highly targeted. You're getting the audience that you want. Uh, if you have five campaigns running at the same time, one uh, targeting the beer drinkers, one targeting the, uh, the flower users, one with the edibles, one lifestyle, and one... Uh, medical focus, you know, you can, you can create different content for all of those uh, with different landing pages uh, to target different audiences and you can have them all running at the same time. So it's, it's, uh, it's just an, important to know what tools are available and, you know, given all the technology and evolution uh, in the last 10 years, writing, you know, at the same time as cannabis, like everything has changed and it's all because of, it's all because of this. <laughs> So, uh, you know, mobile phones have really given us access to, to reach customers in new ways. Uh, and as advertisers, given us the ability to, to only speak to the people that we want to, which is, which is really important. For sure. I mean, if, if I think back to my early days of working in an ad agency, um, obviously we can't use, we, we can't 
Um, we can't put a TV uh, commercial for cannabis on mainstream TV, but we can use connected TV now, as you had mentioned before. But in the early days when I, when I started, um, you were really looking at creating at least three times the initial impression to get awareness for whatever you're launching. And then you're hoping for the best in terms of them going to a store and buying the product that you want, right? And now because of the ability of uh, responsive marketing to be able to ping somebody on their phone or if they're scrolling through a certain site and automatically hmm, they get this programmatic ad from us and go, oh, isn't that interesting? And, and, and as you know, we were actually looking at um, out of home, but in, um, in Ubers and Lyfts in terms yeah. of having that responsive ad popping up on the screen if you're driving nearby a certain dispensary and maybe you need to pick up some AVX while you're in town type. So we really want to make sure that we are looking at all the various channels as you're activating and supporting retailers in a way that's going to be surprising and it's going to be catching consumers' attention. Yeah, we've actually looked into uh, having the that channel added to our programmatic network as well, so they can just run everything through our dashboard uh, and you know just track from from first impression to actual conversion. Uh, and we, we only have about 15 minutes left, so I do want to leave some time, you know, for, for some of our attendees to ask questions. And we do have one, Angela, for you uh, from Todd Geller. Okay. Uh, he says that loyalty is the biggest problem with dispensaries and brands, uh, and especially with college students. How do you combat that? Okay. We're talking about loyalty, then we're talking about, like, that repeat of the second and third time um, if they're looking at you know the different types of deals that they're offering I think there's a huge opportunity for dispensaries to actually create in-store loyalty platforms to be able to retain those um, younger consumers who are 21 plus where um, if they feel that the experience of the store the value of what they're getting um, the overall product mix that's allowing them to learn about what's, what's new and different, creating a loyalty program that's targeted and relevant, like we were talking about with Sephora, that I think that's probably one of the best ways to go about it. I mean, obviously there are going to be platforms like, you know, Lucid Green with QR codes that's going to allow you to learn about a particular brand or product as you go, you know, as you're walking around with your phone. Um, that has a loyalty part of it that can develop together with a retailer to be able to maintain that stickiness of that consumer. But the more relevant you are, uh, the, the better opportunity you have in terms of, re of retaining that consumer. And hopefully you are creating a, a differentiated experience. So consumers are probably coming back for a particular in-store activation. They're coming in for a... I don't know, a flower event or for a cannabis event. Um, I know when uh, at the, around the time of more a Memorial Day weekend, Hi-Fi Hobbs, we had several um, in-store activations. Actually, it wasn't Memorial Day weekend. It was actually 420. Uh, we had a several in-store activations with Sweet Flower where we had pizza and Hi-Fi, you know, like, you know, hops and pie. And um, being able to do that at some of their stores. So we, we actually brought a pizza truck to um, a couple of, of sweet flowers. And then people come in, they, they're shopping their 420, they're getting a slice of pie, they're getting some hi-fi. So something that's different. And that, I think that, that's a, that goes a lot in terms of being able to create a differentiated retail experience. And one thing that we forgot to mention is just be active in the community around you. That's... Uh, something free or you know, something free that you can do that is going to go a long way because people notice, especially in a small town, if you're active at sport events or, uh, you know, uh, just uh, in any way, it's a, uh, it's a fundamental part of a, you know, just, just joining the community. And I've seen some advanced strategies used to, uh, you know, really focus on loyalty and it just really depends on, your store, like the way that you have it set up and your customer base. I do have um, some partners up in Washington state where it's really competitive and everyone's just competing on price. 
and the way that they differentiated themselves is they they got to a level where they sold so much volume that they re they requested exclusivity on product drops and that was their way to jump ahead of the competition like you can't buy this anywhere else except here <laughs> and if you do get to that level where you're, you're moving you know a uh, a million dollars uh, in revenue a month on in one location, like you, you have that negotiation power where you can start to make those requests, uh, depending sure. on where you are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you're if you're working with you know larger larger dispensaries like MedMen or March and Ash and yeah. um, and you know single stores like um, Airfield as well, where they have such a huge following in terms of their customer space, it makes sense both from a customer experience standpoint to create something that's bespoke yeah um as well as offer um first fresh drops that ex exclusive to them so that they are standing out and being differentiated within within their marketed space exactly exactly and, and brian brian arnold has a question any tips on using google adwords without breaking their no cannabis advertising policy i guess i'll, I'll take that one <laughs> uh so google's policy is actually uh it, it's interesting they kind of they don't they don't want you to promote the sale and use but they also turn a blind eye when you're advertising cannabis uh so you know the best way to get those ads approved, number one, is uh, you have to be really conservative with what you say. Uh, you can't use cannabis or any mentions of cannabis in your ad. You can't use it on the landing page. Everything needs to be really clean uh, as far as the ad copy and landing page. And then as, as far as uh, bidding on keywords, you can bid on whatever keyword you want. Uh, but it, it is challenging. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, sugarcoat like it is challenging to keep campaigns active. And, you know, that's what we do on our side. We have, you know, five full-time engineers that all they focus on is ensuring that campaigns are, are still live. And if they are disapproved, looking at ways to, to remedy that. So it is a, it is a resource heavy, I would say, uh, campaign uh, channel, but high ROI. So, yeah, you can turn on a, a Google ads campaign and next week you, you already start to see transactions come through. And, you know, the main reason is that it's intent based, right? People already are searching for a product to buy. They're looking for, uh, you know, they're looking for uh, absolute extracts, vape pen, and they want to buy it now and they'll search for it on Google and whoever's closest to them with that product that's showing up in search results. They'll, they'll probably buy from you, or at least you'll have a good chance at it. So, uh, you know, it's it's a uh, a combination of like art meets the science. So you have to be creative on the way that you say things in Google, uh, but it's it's powerful, right? So the, all the metrics are there to support it, and and the data is there. Just to ensure you have everything set up on the attribution side and. And one thing I do want to point out is, you know, we, we talked about social media and how you don't own anything in social media. Google ads, you know, for organic search or paid search, as far as your website and how you're ranking organically, no one can take that away from you as long as you're following best practices. And, you know, most of your Google ad assets, you, you know, you can own. Uh, and then if you don't want to uh, have to jump through, you know, these additional hoops in Google ads, you can always leverage programmatic advertising. And there's no limitations there as long as you're, you're within the compliance of your, your city, state, or province. So uh, programmatic advertising, you can do like banner ads, video ads, uh, podcast ads. You can be explicit with those and uh, you can promote the sale and use of a product. You can show flower, you can show consumption, depending on what publications you're using. And you can do you know, video programmatic as well. They don't have to be static. Exactly, exactly. So connected TV, someone's on Crackle, they're watching a the show, boom, uh, video absolute extracts pop, pops up showing you know, someone going on a hike, smoking a vape, boom. Next thing you know, you're on your phone, you're seeing the same ad. And then you do a Google search for absolute extracts and boom, there you are. That's the, the sample of uh, 
all the touches, like the rule of seven, right? You need to touch a customer seven times before they'll make a purchase. Uh, so you really, you know, having multiple channels working together is really just going to support your end goal. I see a question from Isabel and I wanted to address that because it's about outdoor advertising. Yeah. You know, yeah. many brands and retailers have been collaborating on outdoor billboards and in Michigan. And is it worth it to invest in something like that? Um, having been a marketer that has used billboards in the past, um, I would say billboards in and of themselves are not effective in that you can't just have a billboard campaign. That billboard campaign has to tie into um, other um, marketing channels. So in the case of Poplin Barkley, when we did what we called our desert activation, was very targeted to Palm Springs. We had billboards right along the freeway and some of, um, you know, even within Palm Springs, I think we spent like $90,000 on billboards for a period of um, three months. But the billboards were basically driving the ubiquity and familiarity of Papa and Barkley as a brand. And they saw that And within the billboard, there was a URL that you can go to, which, which, which was on our, um, at that time, Papa and Barkley on a Jane platform site so that drove you to a particular type of experience. But at the same time, we were also um, working directly with assisted living type um, companies where we were, we actually educated, I think 3000 senior living. Um, so active aging community. And, um, you know, uh, we had uh, an, a 101 in terms of uh, cannabis 101 education. And, um, and then a week later, we would basically bust them into certain dispensaries within the Palm Springs area. I think at the height of, um, that particular desert activation, we had bust a hundred, hundred, a hundred consumers into one dispensary in one day. I think that was like three, three bus trips. And obviously this is pre-pandemic. So it was something that needed to be stopped. Um, but the velocity of growth in the desert area for Papa and Barkley and the loyalty that was able to garner with you know, outdoor as being one of the of the channels that we had used in in terms of overall um, integrated marketing with in store incentives as well. And even now um, in the desert area, especially in the wellness realm, I don't think there's any other brand they love more than Papa and Barkley because you know you're able to show a really well executed integrated campaign that brings customers to a retailer with an education with an education first initiative. Yeah. And just a second, uh, everything that Angela said, uh, billboards uh, are top funnel, right? So their brand awareness, your new product, your new brand, people to know about you, programmatic advertising billboards, they're all top funnel in uh, Google ads and Google and um, organic search. Those are more bottom funnel. Um, there's a lot in between that you need to do to support that. And that's the education. Uh, the activations that you did with um, you know, the, the elder, uh, baby boomer demographic. Uh, so it's all, all, all important channels to really support the end goal. And it's, it's not one channel is going to be the best. You really need to be activated across all of them. 100%. And then if you think about that, you know, getting back to that customer loyalty, knowing that um, active aging community, or you call them the boomers, they're going to be super sticky if they find if they find those wellness products that really help them to be more active, to have a really great active lifestyle. So then, you know, if you're looking at lifetime value of a particular segment and the loyalty that comes with it when they find the products that work for them, that's really worth the investment as well. So again, you know, throwing acronyms out there, lifetime value, you know, LTV. Yeah. So important. And I think there's, um, there's one more from, from Kyle Gordon about um, oh, wanting to stand yeah. out. Yeah, so any tips you would give in a crowded market? How can I stand out from other reps when trying to get a new ca uh, craft cannabis brand carried by a retailer? 
I would say go back to your origin story. What is it about your craft cannabis brand that really helps it stand out? Is it the integrity of the grow? Is it how you are, you know, is it hand trimmed, hand finished, hand packed? Um, and go back to the origin story because it gives people and especially, you know, dispensary buyers and, um, and bud tenders something to talk about. So if you're talking about a craft brand, there's got to be a certain level of love and attention that goes into creating your brand. And that love and attention with the right story can really then extend out to the potential consumer. So as a rep, have something different to say, to say that is going to really hit a chord so that when somebody is, is recommending your brand, they're going to feel a lot more heart to it because they say, you know, this is a brand that really understands how to do it. You know, I think we see a lot of reps walking in with lanyards and, you know, cupcakes and, and whatnot. Those are all really, really nice. Um, but ultimately, they can't bring that cupcake to that customer conversation. They're going to have to tell a story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, one final question uh, from Saif Khan. How do we as an industry in California deal with the race to the bottom when it comes to pricing, uh, especially for flour? Oh, that's so hard. And I, and, and, I, uh, and I know Saif because he was part of the um, brand ambassador team and one of our strongest educators that um, has ever been at Papa and Barkley. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his. Um, I think the sad part is there are a lot of brands who are really ready for that race to the bottom. Um, but if you do have that differentiated origin story and the integrity and being able to hold the higher ground for why your product and your brand is worth is weight. I think you got to keep telling that story and try not to participate in that race to the bottom because yeah, you're always going to have your value customer, but there, but then you still have a lot of consumers who are going in and seeing, yeah, I want, I want to stand behind the brands that are standing behind the community. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it's a tough one. I mean, I've, I've really had firsthand experience dealing with that in Washington state, just the, the last, I don't know, six, seven years, because they're all, everyone's selling the same product. There's no vertical integration. Uh, and there's 10 stores in one city with a small population. So it's, <laughs> it's tough. And uh, I know the ones that have been successful, uh, just um, from my experience have been the kind of disincentives are kind of are, are tough depending on which state uh, but always I guess making a customer feel like they're winning on every experience and even if it's it could be just the way you're pricing things you could have a higher price but on every order you're offering some type of incentive or or a, a value add or a cheap pre-roll or something like a dollar pre-roll or a set pre-roll just to add on to uh, to that sale so they just feel like they're walking away with something um, more uh, than, than they were anticipated and then another another strategy is that you know any products that's not selling through they'll just discount that at a heavy heavy rate and almost like a giveaway just to number one get rid of that product and that and, you know uh, open up that shelf space but just to just to make people feel like they're, you know, they're getting some incentives and it's a, a weekly deal. I know I have a heart up in Washington state. We, we practice this religiously and we're able to move, you know, 800 K in sales, just some online orders, just from text messaging, email and, and incentives. And that was it. Uh, but that was a store in Belltown where you walked in and it, it's a small store, but they're, you know, they're doing over 1.2 million a month. In revenue in a small store but it's all e-commerce sales right so it's and just providing that uh, additional incentives and that's that was their model it's sell more product at a lower margin but you know that's uh, that's how they capture their market share however if you think about the flip side of that that if we're able to push retailers to sell more products at a higher margin and be able to pass it on to you know, equitably for brands and also for consumers so that they feel that they're getting the right target, then, you know, we have a really great growing market as well. But, uh, you know, I know we're at 1201 now. Um, a lot of the taxation conversation that's been going on around the state of California, where we really need to be supporting 
retailers and cultivators so that you know the tax relief for all of us in order for us to be a vibrant legitimate part of the cannabis industry is very critical so you know sign your partition uh, you know sign your petitions and, um, and fight for you know taxation reform for all of us agreed agreed and thank you angela for you know taking the time today and sharing your insights and i, I know our audience has, has been really engaged and, and enjoyed the conversation so um, if you'd like to share a little bit about, you know, where, where they can find you, what's your, uh, your social, social tags, email, company, domain oh, name. sure. You can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. It's just Angela Pie. And also in terms of Instagram, it's just at Angela Pie, and you can always find me. And I always respond. <laughs> Thank you again, Angela. Have a wonderful week. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.